This show is brought to you by Built Rewards. ready yet? No, not yet, man. Yeah, surprisingly, it takes a lot of time. Well, let me know when you are. I still gotta see if Tamara's gonna get hers in. Hello? Tamara, you got that thing we were talking about yet? Not yet. I told you I'm going out of town for Christmas. Well, you're just lucky I'm so lenient about actors visiting family over the holidays. Yes, that is what is going on. Come on, Tamara! We're playing Sega CD and doing eggnog shots with the Buddha Bunny! Coming! Let me know when you're finished. Man, who would have thought it'd actually be tricky to come up with- Wait! Not yet. What? We gotta save it for the sappy ending. Oh, right. Well, it's been 30 years since this came out. Back in 1993, one of the best animated shows for kids and adults was ever released, Animaniacs. Unlike its predecessor, Tiny Toons, which was mostly for kids, but had a few jokes for adults. Or Freakazoid, which was mostly for adults, but had a few jokes for kids. Animaniacs was a variety show that hit both kids and adults equally. Sometimes chaotic, sometimes educational, sometimes teaching a moral, sometimes celebrating there's no moral, sometimes verbal, sometimes musical, sometimes needing no words at all. It was an amazing accomplishment that's still being celebrated and talked about all these years later. And who better to talk about than the show's creator himself, Tom Ruger. How you doing, buddy? Hello, nurses and uh, all other medical personnel, and everyone else. Hello, everyone. So I want to talk about one of your most ambitious films ever connected to Animaniacs. Ernest Goes to Hell? No, A Wacko's Wish. Oh, yeah, that, that's better. Yeah. Released in 1999, Wacko's Wish was the last major Animaniacs project to use the original cast, writers, and directors. And I'll be totally honest, when I first saw it, I wasn't the biggest fan. The tone changes threw me off from what I was used to, resulting in me finding it a little corny and awkward and inconsistent and... Why am I here? But I've learned to love it over the years. The tone changes, once you know where it's all going, actually does help with the spontaneity of the comedy. When you're legit not sure if the film's gonna give you a serious moment or a comedic moment, it makes the payoff all the more unexpected and enjoyable. So we're gonna look over the film said to be the swan song of this legendary animated series. And like I mentioned before, we're gonna look it over with the show's creator and one of the directors, Tom Ruger. So, you like it better than Ernest Goes to Hell? Yeah, yeah, said it. Let's take a look at Wacko's Wish. The film opens with a narration, I think from the Motel 6 guy. Over a century ago, there stood the village of Acme Falls. Holy shit it is, how random. Talking about the happy village of Acme Falls. It was a town filled with happy inhabitants and a mine. Well, no place is perfect. Right off the bad time, where did the idea for this movie come from? Battlefield Earth? I have no idea. It was like L. Ron Hubbard. I think Travolta wanted to make it. I mean, Wacko's Wish, Tom. You know that. Wacko's Wish, right. At that point, the Animaniacs series was sort of coming to an end. We had made 99 episodes. We had been pushing for a long form with Stephen, who was now getting involved with DreamWorks and... He probably wasn't going to go for a theatrical. We said, well, how about, you know, something for home video? And 
He said, well, that's good. I went off and came up with a concept. Originally, it was supposed to be something like It's a Mad, Mad World. The original title was It's a Wacka, 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 Wacka Wish. So we had a structure with a lot of different characters pursuing not the big W, but the wishing star. We had a tight schedule. We had to sort of race it into production. So I brought Charlie Howe and Earl Cress and Nick Dubois and Kevin Hopps and Randy Rogel. And everyone said, this, is, this should be in movie theaters. So we uh, tested it, got a big crowd of uh, mainly kids, but their parents too. And they came in, they filled out the cards after the movie, and they loved the movie. They were laughing at it, they were loving it. Bob Daly ran the studio at that time. And he saw all the cards and they were like really excellent. There was like people giving it like A plus. I said, you know, he was like, Ruger, what did you do, stack the audience? I said, no, I don't know anybody here. He said, well, yeah, these are really good scores. Now, the only problem is I need $5 million to market it. And he turned to me and said, do you have $5 million sitting around? And I said, gee, Bob, no, I don't. Ah, uh, you don't need to treat us special. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. We needed $5 million and uh, Bob was not gonna cough it up. The film combines a lot of classic fairy tales slash adventures slash Christmas tropes. Half the time paying homage to them and the other half mocking them. Warner stock, which was ruled by a benevolent king, Sir William the Good. Peace and prosperity covered the land. Rainbows were up 20%. The king passes away though and the kingdom is taken over by another king who is even better. No, you know the drill, he's the worst. Warner stock being overthrown in a hostile takeover by the nation of Tiktokia. So what inspired you to go more the traditional fairy tale route with this? This might be the swan song for Animaniacs. We wanted to pack it in with references to some of our old gags from the series and new stuff and a big story carrying the entire cast. At the same time, we wanted to zing Disney and we wanted to zing the, the politics that were going on at the studio with Warner Brothers being absorbed by uh, time. And so that's why we had this whole thing at the beginning where the country was called Warner Stock and Tiktokia time was going to take it over. Now the new leader of Warner Stock was King Salazar the Pushy. Taking the story a bit more seriously does allow for smaller jokes to suddenly seem funnier. Like having the villain named King Salazar the Pushy or their financial advisor just shrugging, we're broke. And the country's fortunes plummeted. This also allows for acts of cruelty to be funnier. Like when plots place the tax collector looking for anything to take from the people. I have nothing to pay my taxes with. I can hardly keep the fire burning myself. Next! That's cold. We're introduced to our heroes, three orphans named Yakko, Wacko, and Dot, who sing about their woes as Acme Falls is in shambles. The lyrics, as usual, are pretty damn funny. We slept on beds with springs that hurt. The faucets had hot and cold running dirt. And ever since then... I've been feeling low. Ah, uh, she's been taking lessons from Sandy the Squirrel. I wanna go home. Things couldn't get much worse. Even my nuts are frozen. Be careful with that last verse. Oh, also, your son Nate still did the voice of Skippy. Um... Was his voice still being altered? Are you okay, Slappy? Nathan's voice was being pitched for the final season. This was recorded maybe a year after that final season, so Nathan's voice had gotten even lower. But sad is me heart until we meet again by the barley, barley falls of Acme. And um, how did that affect him hitting the high notes? Did he actually hit the high notes? I adore my Yankee Slappy, but it'd really make me happy if I had some friends with little kids like me. He had to sing these lyrics that were 
kind of out of his range, and I think he did pretty well under the circumstances. We definitely gotta get you some singing lessons. Oh yeah, look who's talking. Hey, hey, cheap shot, I'm old. Not being the youngest and cutest, of course, therefore has to be sick. So while Yakko stays with her, Wacko travels to seek his fortune. When he returns, he cheerfully sings he's made more than he's ever made in his entire life. I give you my fortune, a hay penny. <laughs> As you can imagine, the town is, okay, really ecstatic. He's got a penny today. He's got a penny hooray. Again, it took me a while to notice, but playing with the tone does make moments like this much funnier than if they just played the whole thing humorous. I'll buy burgers at the butchers and blitzes at the baker. Groceries at the grocers, season tickets for the Lakers. They want to use the money to help pay for an operation for Dot, but the tax collector comes and takes the hay penny away. To make her feel better, Yakko tells Dot her favorite story that might be a little too cutesy. Tell me the story. Okay. There once was a man from Nantucket. Not that story. Actually, might have liked that story a little more. And out of the prettiest flower came... Me! And every night at bedtime, they'd come in and say, Who's the cutest girl? And you'd say, I am. Okay, if there's any more sweetness to the scene, it would have diabetes. And mom and dad would laugh and laugh and laugh, and they'd tickle you. <laughs> It's Dot, that's kind of the idea, and B, it does play into a joke later. How is she? Not great. Those acting lessons never really sunk in. Pretty hard to riff a movie that riffs itself. Wacko wishes upon a star, and a good fairy played by Ben Stein appears. Because it was such an obvious casting choice. Now go make your wish. The one who touches the fallen star first will be granted one wish. Well, I for one am shocked Puss in Boots 2 took from anything aside from all this. The Warner set out to find the wishing star in a song set to Hungarian Rhapsody. Using this music for comedic effect is nothing new, but having a lyric hit almost every note? To the wishing star, something weird and so bizarre it fell to earth from way afar. They're on their way to the wishing star. Pinky, are you pondering exactly what I'm pondering? All things are right, but just how will we get the weasel to hostel? They don't do all the music, but they come pretty close. It almost has a Broadway style to it. It's quite an accomplishment. It fell to earth and it came on down in a great big piece, then hit the ground, and then some fairy said to me, whoever gets there first, you see, just touch the star. That's all you do, and then you get your wish come true. So how did the songwriting for the movie work? During the story uh, process, I was saying, oh, here's where we put this song, and here's where we put that song. I wrote most of the lyrics. Julie Bernstein did most of the music on the songs. Uh, Randy Rogel participated in the songs. Kevin Hopps, Tim Kelly, Gordon Goodwin. The lyrics, they were sort of dictated by what was going on in the, in the movie. They just knocked the music out of the park. We're gonna get there first, you see the one who gets there first will be in a super wagon wrapped in bone and on the snow it's gonna float. It has a sail, it's like a sleigh. Look how well we're on our way. Everybody makes their way to the wishing star, all with different intentions for it. Pinky and the Brain obviously have plans to take over the world with it. And Buttons and Mindy introduced pretty late in the game, get roped in just trying to drop off cookies at their grandma's house. I'd go myself, but I'm too busy baking cookies for the seven dwarves. You know how your uncles love my chocolate chips. It's no fingerprints joke, but I'll take it. Actually, give me a second. So guys, how's it coming along? This isn't what we're supposed to be doing, is it? No. Oh, right, it's the other thing. Yes. Oh, sorry for the confusion. They sounded similar, right?
It's time to ditch monthly rent checks and rent postal credit card fees. Built lets you pay your rent without a transaction fee. And if you pay by check, they mail the check for you. We've all at some point felt like we're lighting our money on fire by paying rent. We're not building credit and we're not building towards buying a home. But Built Rewards has figured out a way to make rent more rewarding. They launched the Built MasterCard, which lets you pay your rent and earn points without the credit card transaction fee. And even if your landlord only takes checks, they'll mail one to ya. You can use those points you earn towards hotels or flights, towards future rent payments, and even towards a down payment on a home. The Built MasterCard is the first card to offer points to rent with no transaction fee. It just seems like a no-brainer to me. Check it out. I just wish I had the Built credit card when I was a renter. Earn points by paying rent right now when you go to BuiltRewards.com slash Nostalgia. That's B-I-L-T Rewards.com slash Nostalgia. Make sure to use our URL so they know we sent ya. BuiltRewards.com slash Nostalgia to start earning points with your rent payments today. Terms apply. Doug plays Spider-Man 2 every Friday on Twitch. We also have content five days a week. Hope to see you there. Plots and his henchman Ralph are taken off the path to report back to King Salazar. Posing for a body pillow, Jesus. The honor is ours. Gives no meaning to the term royal scepter. He instructs Plots to get the star for him and to kill the Warners along the way. I don't want to see them again, alive. But they're just kids. Don't think of them as kids, Baron. Think of them as the dearly departed. As grim as that is, I love imagining what the funeral would be like. Like, do they just keep burying them and they keep showing up above ground? I'm totally down for a spin-off called Dark Animaniacs. On top of that, he sends out the Good Feathers, also making a pretty late entry into the film, to make sure Plots does as he's told. That king really frosted my feathers. He insulted us right to our faces. Are you insulted, Bobby? A little bit. When you realize the kid's comedy version of Robert De Niro is actually funnier than most adult comedy versions of Robert De Niro. Forget what the king wants. Let's get what we want. They too want the star for themselves as, get this, everybody sings another song about it. This stupid Norman Nixa, I would fix it, I could fix it, cause I've always been a failure on the flop. We've been insulted and neglected and we've never been respected and we wish the wishing star to make it stop. Okay, so you could make the argument there's a little too much singing in this. If we could have a wish that we'd be happy. I want the world. I want a home. We want respect. A little, a lot, too much singing in this. But again, what balances it out is that the songs, again, particularly the lyrics, are really good. Every time I kind of groan whenever another song starts, I'm usually sucked in eventually by how clever they are. I've got bunions and arthritis and lumbago and bursitis. I need glasses and my kidney's got a stone. I wish retirement, you see, in a giant acorn tree with everybody leaving me alone. Even if sometimes it sounds like they might be saying something else. I adore my Auntie Sloppy, but it'd really make me happy if I had some friends with little kids like me. Cause she's impatient and she's crabby. Cause she's impatient and she's crabby and she's always- You heard that too, right? Skippy's finally entering his high school years? The animation has always been stellar on the show, but again, it really feels like they're trying to go above and beyond what the team usually has accomplished. 
Who did the animation? Was it any different from the animation done on the show? Wacko's Wish looks really good. Much thanks to uh, TMS Tokyo Movie Shinsa for their animation on it. But before it even arrived in their hands to do their magic, we had these incredible directors here at, at Warner Brothers in Sherman Oaks. There's Greg Reyna, Charlie Visser, Russell Calabrese, Nelson Racinos, Kirk Tenglad. They each took various sections of the film. They slaved over these things. They had crews, they had storyboard artists, and they were just working day and night. It's a really cool moment where the dialogue kind of disappears and we mainly focus on the music. There's technically slapstick going on, but because it's so quiet, the score is allowed to really show off. It's like the Descent into Mystery scene from Batman that was replaced by a zany ballet. Richard Stone always composed amazing work, but again, he really outdoes himself here. Was there an intention not only to make the story more cinematic, but the music too? Animaniacs for me was the ultimate uh, creative experience uh, in my career. So I had the uh, final say on the mixes, and there were episodes of Tiny Toons and Animaniacs where I just said, let's make this a concert. Turn up the music, turn up the sound effects, let's just let this go, because the music is so good. And that's true for uh, many sections of uh, Wacko's Wish. We had the sound effects and we had, you know, the gaggy type boinks and things. But I said, wait, this music is so good. Let's just hear that. It's seven and a half minutes. The music is Peak Dom from Von Supe, this overture piece. It's seven and a half minutes. It is a torture force of action and comedy. No dialogue, just amazing beautiful images, beautiful animation. And it was directed by Greg Reyna, who spent, again, day and night, he slaved over that seven and a half minutes. He made the music sync up with the action everywhere. Uh, it's, it's a tour de force. They finally make it to the witching star, but sadly, so does the king, who captures them all. All hail the mighty King Salazar. And his tale of flavor flav. They're all to be executed, but the Warners say they know secrets about the star that the king doesn't. Execute them. Have it your way, but we know secrets about the star that you don't. Hold your fire! The king gives them whatever they want as the Warners constantly stall for time. Most of this play is like a typical Warner short where the villain gets their comeuppance. And because the king is played pretty straight in terms of a bad guy, it makes it even funnier when he breaks character and keeps falling for their antics. I'm not your father. That's not what mommy said. When will this insanity stop? Yes, you. He has some tricks though too, as he sends them to the cave of their worst nightmares, which is pretty much a best of the rogues gallery. <laughs> you make me feel all fun, fun, doodle dumb. If you don't watch the show, this probably won't do much for you, but if you do, it's kind of cool seeing these characters again. Once more, the thought was, this is probably the last time you're ever going to see him, so give him one last go at the spotlight. No! The Warners escape and make their way to the star, but a cannonball is shot at them. Which, what do you hear this, apparently kills off Dot. Dot, can you hear me? Tell me the story. What? The story about Mom and Dad. So like I said, I've actually grown to like not knowing when a silly moment or a somber moment is coming. Was it tough figuring out when to do something serious, when to do something zany? The characters in the story and the story itself sort of dictate what 
the scene is, what mood that scene should have. These are elements that are in the story as we're scripting it, and we know those are going to be sort of gentle moments. Then we know we're going to have absolute silliness and nuttiness uh, in other spots. They come in and say, who's the cutest girl? And you'd say, I am. <laughs> also, killing off Dot. What was that recording session like? Dot, Tress, she knew she was going to have this death scene. So she really knew to make that opening scene where we're telling that story early on. She wanted to really nail that so that when it gets recalled later, it uh, impacts the audience. Tress is, she's the greatest uh, voice actor of, of her generation. <laughs> starts to weep for the fallen cute one, resulting in Wacko sneaking away to the star while they're distracted. Oh, by the way, that's totally fine. She's alive, man! I guess those acting lessons paid off after all. Do you really mean it? Nah. This is where a lot of issues with the film start to fix themselves. Most movies would have Dot's death be 100% serious and Wacko would use his wish to save her. But instead, it's a fake out and what does Wacko wish for? Not one, but... Two hate pennies! What? Oh, but it gets better. You know the operation Dot wanted? It wasn't a cure of sickness. It was plastic surgery to give her a beauty mark. I call it a cutie mark. Yeah, like all those serious moments with her were pretty much just building up these really stupid jokes. But I love the balls that takes! This would be like Bambi's mom dying and then years later she comes back and says, No, I told your dad I couldn't be with you because I shot the hunter and was on the run. It'd be insultingly ridiculous, but what a bizarrely long way to go for a joke. I kind of got respected. With the two hay pennies, everybody seems to get exactly what they want. And I mean it, every character has a happy ending that ties into their overarching scenarios on the show. Yeah! Uh, he used to like nuts, now he's discovered dates. I am totally reading that as Skippy is by. Hello, nurse! ...was finally appreciated for her figuring and not just her figure. Rita and Runt's wish came true, too. They found a happy home with Dr. Scratch and Sniff. Even the pigeons, who wanted a little respect, got their wish. Even Pinky and the Brain's happy ending is that there's still a chance they could take over the world in the future. What are we going to do tomorrow night? Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Plan for the sequel when we'll try to take over the kingdom and the world! Ah yes, the sequel, Yakko's Circumcision. With everybody getting a satisfactory conclusion, was there an awareness this might be the team's final production with the Animaniacs name on it? We were aware that this might be the swan song for Animaniacs. The experience that I, I most distinctly remember about Wacko's Wish, we had finished the story, and now we were going to hand it off to the crew to start storyboarding, you know, designing, and doing backgrounds. So we took this day, and the entire crew, you know, there were probably 75 to 100 people there. I spent the day going over the entire script, acting out every part, really doing my best to entertain them and to tell them what was going on in each scene. Basically, I read all the lines. I tried to do the voices as best I could and tried to get punchlines. I was getting laughs. They were getting awe, and you know, their sweet moments were working. For me, it was my 
my ultimate Disney moment. I hear that Walt would gather the group together and tell the story of some of his features like Snow White. He would go over and he would do all the different voices. So I had that one experience with a feature doing that with Wacko's Wish. And it was truly one of the most rewarding experiences because the crew was so loving and, and appreciative and, and uh, complimentary. And it, it, was, it was a great day. It also looks like the Warners the whole time were related to the Good King, as Salazar tried to keep that a secret when he took the throne. Ah! Fooled you, didn't we? Dead. It even ends with them spinning the wheel of morality, which just feels right. And the moral of our story is... You gotta cheer up and never give up hope. Eh, I still prefer. You can teach an old dog new tricks, but you can't teach Madonna to act. And that was Wacko's Wish, a film that, like I said, has really grown on me. I think because I was so used to the show mocking a lot of the tropes they were using here, I wasn't prepared for the type of film it would be. Now, looking back, not only do the more serious moments make the humorous moments even funnier, but this really does serve as a fitting swan song for the series. It feels right to end on a movie that juggles a lot of fairy tales, adventures, songs, slapstick, and of course, clever wordplay. And all while being a Christmas movie that I think maybe once mentions the word Christmas? I pray for a day like that. That's like Christmas, you know what I mean? But still has a lot of that playful spirit of the holiday. I'm not gonna say this is like my favorite Animaniacs production, but it's a lot more clever than I remember. And it's certainly worth checking out for any Animaniacs fan. It's got great music, big laughs, wonderful animation, and entertains both kids and adults. If you haven't seen it yet, it's a decent, zany family comedy. And you know, because it is the 30th anniversary, I wanted to go a little bit more into detail about why these characters really connected with me. You see, growing up, there were three shows that really, really felt like the characters were just real. Batman, X-Men, and Animaniacs. Like, yeah, obviously I knew they weren't alive, and I know there's shows that have better developed characters, but as a kid, I connected so much with them, there was almost a disappointment they didn't exist in real life. I moved around a lot because my dad was in the Navy, which means sometimes I would fit in great into a new place, and other times, I really didn't. X-Men and Batman definitely fed my angsty side. It was dark, brooding, and about bringing sanity to a world of chaos. Animaniacs did the total opposite. It was bright, upbeat, and about bringing chaos to a world of sanity. They did so by always having the right comeback, the perfect one-liner, abstract thinking. Sometimes they would fight a foe, but other times they would just introduce a little bit of anarchy and show not only how it could be fun, but also important. The world is going to be crazy and unexpected, and these were characters that showed you how to roll with the punches and adapt to it. These characters felt real to me because they helped me through something. They helped me to lighten up and be optimistic at a time when I didn't always feel that way. Batman and X-Men said, confront your dark side. Animaniacs said, throw a whoopee cushion on a chair. And both of them were done with equal effort and are both equally important in their own unique way. Animaniacs was uh, the apex of my uh, creative career. Uh, I loved making it. I loved all the people who worked on it. Rusty Mills and Liz Holzman, of course, co-directed this. I, I miss them every day. I'm very grateful for Warner Brothers to say, make a long form as sort of a swan song for the series. It gave me a feeling of completion, very rewarding. Animaniacs, a moment in time where a bunch of us got together, we made each other laugh. No one said, no, you can't do that. No one said, oh, you have to cut that scene. They just let us do it. 
And that is so rare. And uh, I missed that. And it was, it was a golden moment. Critic, we did it. Yeah, we finally found characters we grew up with that felt real to us. Oh, okay. Who are they? Well, mine is Static Shock. He left a big impression on me as a young comic cartoon and superhero nerd. Nowadays, the presence of black iconic superheroes in animated media has grown significantly, but back then, they were far and few in between. This character brought a new, never-before-seen flavor to the cartoon scene. Someone who I could relate to on a level that was more than skin deep. Mine's Dr. Sam Beckett. One of my favorite shows at the time was Quantum Leap. The main character would leap from person to person through time, righting wrongs and fixing broken lives. He was often vulnerable, modest, and flawed, just like the rest of us. He stood against racism, bigotry, sexism, homophobia, and always against great odds. Compelled to do what was right, and now it was easy. That stuck with me as I faced my own challenges growing up. Hello? Hey, Critic, I finally thought of a character. Ahsoka Tano. I loved watching her growth from this imperfect, aggressive, stubborn character to a still imperfect, but very loyal, kind-hearted warrior of a character. She manages to become one of the most powerful Jedi in Star Wars history, despite claiming that she is no Jedi. And I really love how changed she is from the people around her. And I love watching her fight with herself throughout the series. It's so relatable and so personal. I love her. Okay, these are all pretty good, guys. Thanks for sharing. Can we go see our families now? Always making it about you. Yeah, go. I'm putting my two weeks. Okay, last thing, I swear. In a holiday season that's all about making an impact on people, why don't you share the characters that felt real to you? Whether it be in childhood or adulthood or whatever, what are some characters that helped you get through something? In honor of the people that work their asses off to give you their stories, maybe list the ones that left such a huge impression on you and why you think they stay with you for so long. I'd love to hear some of the ones that helped shape who you are. And once again, a big thank you to Tom Ruger who created a show that definitely helped shape me and directed a pretty damn decent movie that went along with it. Well, it's no Ernest Goes to Hell, but it's a darn good animated movie. I'm a nostalgia critic. I remember it so you don't have to. Because she's impatient and she's crabby and she's always really then afterwards, we're gonna go for a week-long kegger at Blitzen's place. Then maybe hit Vegas and partake in some candy cane. That's a lounge singer, by the way. It's okay, Mrs. Claus and I have an understanding. After all, I know what she does with the sleigh boy. After that, there's the rainbow orgy. True, I'm not a furry or gay, but you know, FOMO over homo. <laughs> <laughs> Cameo for charity, and this month we're doing Toys for Tots. So if you want to video me saying happy birthday, merry Christmas, congrats, or whatever, go ahead and click on the link below and know you'll be giving to a good cause. With that said, I usually do Toys for Tots for December, and part of that is because of this funny story that happened when we were shooting the review of Christmas with the Cranks. I share it every year, and this year is going to be no different. 
Hey everybody, Doug Walker here doing the charity shout out and I have a funny story for you. Uh, when we were shooting this review, we were outside about to shoot a scene with uh, Nostalgia Critic and Santa Christ and this car pulls up and they pull right into our parking spot and we don't recognize the people and they get out and we say, can we help you? And they say, uh, Toys for Tots. I'm dropping off Toys for Tots. No, 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 we're not Toys for Tots. And they're looking at us like, are you sure? And we said, yeah, we're sure. Why would we know where Toys for Tots are? And they said, well, because you got a guy dressed like Santa Claus there. Oh, no. <laughs> Un unrelated. Amazing. Totally unrelated. So, bizarrely enough, they were driving around looking for Toys for Tots, and we happened to come outside with a guy dressed as Santa Claus. What are the chances? <laughs> And I took it as a sign. There you go. So click on the link in the description, get a cameo from me, and be giving to a wonderful organization. Donate to Toys for Tots. Yes, it's a good organization. <laughs> Santa Christ approves.